I wanted to start by saying thank you for listening as well as for those of you who've been supporting Standard H by way of making purchases on the website. It's funny, I've had several people ask me if I'm a podcast that makes clothes or a clothing brand with a podcast. Though it is most certainly the latter, I'm just happy those of you who have discovered the brand at all, let alone enjoyed the products I make. If you don't mind leaving a review of the show through whatever app you're listening to this on, it will no doubt help others also discover the show and in turn the brand. And if I could ask a second favor, maybe tell a friend or two about Standard H. I couldn't be more proud of the community that's evolving, and all of you have been so great, be it through DMs on Instagram or the emails I've received. I'm a huge subscriber of the birds of a feather mentality and feel the best way to share a good thing is to include my friends. So if you could help share the pod, that would be awesome, and hopefully your friends will enjoy it as well. As always, thank you so much for the support. If you haven't heard episode one of the Standard Age podcast, then let me tell you about my friend Tim Jackson. As owner of Passion Fine Jewelry, Tim and his team specialize in fine jewelry, as well as some of the finest independent watch brands available. I'm talking about Gronfeld, Habring, Kudoki, Roger Smith, Roman Gauthier, Sarpaneva, the list goes on. The staff at Passion Fine Jewelry is literally made up of friends and family, so you will feel right at home if and when you visit. If California is out of reach, you can absolutely email or call the shop and they'll get you sorted. Visit passionfinejewelry.com for more information. As you all know, I'm a huge fan of using the right product for the right job. And like many of you, I appreciate products with a story. That's why I drive a Volkswagen GTI. It's a hot hatch with heritage. It's also why I'm into specific watches like my Tudor Black Bay. And that's exactly why I'm a fan of the indie accessory brand Contonement. Contonement makes a utilitarian cloth they simply call a kerchief. It's smaller than a standard bandana, but larger than a handkerchief, which makes it ideal to tuck in a back pocket or use as a neckerchief. I always take one on a bike ride or have one with me as a backup face covering. Not only do these kerchiefs satisfy several functions, but they look great too. Each set features illustrations celebrating icons of product design like the Omega Speedmaster, the Fender Stratocaster, or my favorite, of course, a classic GTI. Follow them on Instagram at Contonement Co. That's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T-C-O or visit them at Contonement.co and use the code STANDARDH in all caps no spaces, for 20% off of absolutely everything in their online shop. Now let's get back to the show. Today's guest is the founder of a company many of you watch fans have heard of time and again, and my history with Ken Jacobs spans the better part of 10 years or so. So this conversation was a fun version of Memory Lane to take a stroll down, which we do just that out of the gate. The recording of this episode also happened to fall on the day I took delivery of my 5513 Submariner, a watch I consider to be my grail sub. Ken does not come from a watch background. In fact, he had an entirely different career prior to starting Wanna Buy a Watch. More on that in the chat, and it was fun to dive deep into his history with timepieces and how he became one of the preeminent dealers of pre-owned and vintage watches selling to many of the watch collectors with whom you and I are surely quite familiar. Something that seems to run in the Wanna Buy a Watch family is a sense of humor. The store is a warm embrace, and as we sat in the living room-like section in the front, a lot of laughing took place, and Ken was nothing shy of a great host. 
Needless to say, we take some twists and turns, including some neon clock discussion. Ken offers a wonderful glimpse into his life, and I can't thank him enough for his candor. As a result, I didn't edit much at all out of this conversation, mainly because I feel it really gives you a sense of who Ken is and his delivery, which I love. At the end of the day, he just wants to get great watches into the hands of great people, and I think that's why we keep coming back. If you haven't visited Ken and his team there on Melrose, I highly recommend it. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time and allowing me to uh, purchase a watch from you. Um, that it, I, Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, I kind of wanted to start things off, though, with my first visit. Now, remind me, you were on the same block for years. How far down? You were, if we were to walk out of the store right now, we would take a right. Right, it would take us about 30 seconds to get there if we're walking slowly. And you were in that space for how long? 13 years. Okay, so the first time we met, I'm guessing it was 2012, maybe eight years ago. Um, it was during the time, and I may have blogged about your store, I'm not sure, because I used to have a men's fashion lifestyle blog from like 08 or 09 to like 2013. Um, at the time I was working for James purse on Melrose. So right up the street. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was fascinated by a Rolex with a three, a six and a nine on the dial. It was a black dial, stainless steel. I later learned it was called a reference 1016. Um, Explorer one. I was enthralled with this piece. It was 36 millimeters. At the time, arguably contrarian, because everybody was going 40 millimeters and stuff with most watches. In fact, I, at the time, I would have had a, a Swiss Army watch primarily on my wrist those days. And that was like 38 to 40 mil. And it was kind of large even for like 1998 when I bought it. And then in 2012, it was kind of normal at that point. But I loved this reference 1016. And you were the one that started to talk to me about this. Now I'd been in watches just from like an aesthetic approach, but you were actually the one that really started to, to, <laughs> well, Hodinkee did, frankly, like I found Hodinkee, but like, so maybe, you know what? Maybe I did know the reference number coming into your store at that point, 2012. Yeah, I probably did actually, but you took the time to walk me through several pieces and you know your industry better than I do, obviously, and I think you would probably attest it's not always a warm embrace, you know, by certain dealers or stores, for example. Definitely not at the mall. You know, you get the eyes, the look up, look down, look at the wrist, do you belong here thing. Yes. Yeah, war war warmth is not everywhere. It, it, it's usually here. <laughs> yes. Unless I'm really spun out, but generally it, it's warmth. And there certainly is a culture um, that I'm happy that it passes from me. It's not only Ken, but that the owner, the leader, set, establishes a, a, a culture. Sure. Um, a feeling about a, a store. So it's it's a great pleasure when someone comes in the store and I'm not even here and they talk about how well they were received and how knowledgeable the person was who was 
helping them, not, not inundating them, not trying to impress them, uh, not intimidating them, but helping them. Right. So it, it's a pleasure that the culture extends beyond my personality. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just having been a retail manager myself, the days off that I would have, knowing that people would come in and do exactly as you said, like, oh my gosh, Wesley, I came in last week and Susie, what's her face helped me and she was brilliant, you know, like that always made me feel great. You know, like even as just a manager, let alone an owner, I can only imagine. Right. Our, our Susie, what's her face is Kim with a Y. Yeah. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I wanted to share that story just because that was the first time I looked at it, but more importantly, I wanted to touch on the price and I'm pretty sure that watch was $4,400 that day that I saw it. And I, you know, I did okay at James purse. I didn't have $4,500 to spend on a watch in those days. And, but the obsession, I just wanted it and wanted it and wanted it. And then as I wanted it longer, the price just kept going up. Wow. Well, I'm sorry you didn't get it because uh, apparently someone else did. Yeah. It's not here anymore. Right. Yeah. And now that watch would be fifteen or $16,000 or, oh, or, or perhaps more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And But again, I just I appreciated that warmth. And, I, and for whatever reason, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, one day <laughs> there, there's going to come a time where I'm going to buy a watch here. And today was that day, basically, and it's my first vintage piece. You and I texted about it. We emailed about it. You weren't here two weeks ago when I came and saw it in person, but I found it on your website, which is a great website, by the way. You guys have great photos. You have great descriptions. Um, It makes it a very seamless transition from internet to in-person. So I wanted to first of all commend you on that because not you. everybody it's, does it. It's great. It's great to hear. Great to hear that our photographer. I don't know if you got a chance to walk in in the back today, but our photographer is here today. Yeah, and I am so indebted to to him um, for the beautiful photographs he takes. I sometimes I look at the watch and I and I just <laughs> gush and react. I mean, right. I know the watch. I bought the watch. I oversaw the restoration. Uh, service of the watch and then I see Brent's beautiful photos and it's like holy crap yeah Um, and then Miguel who was adjusting your bracelet um, is is self-taught in so many different things including watch repair and some of the listeners may have seen some of um, Miguel's uh, fix it Friday videos sure (laughs) where he's he's demonstrated uh, some basic um repair and an adjustment including using that poly watch (laughs) yeah the the, (laughs) tube that i gave you yeah um and and he has just taken he is uh he is also uh responsible for a lot of our instagram posts and he's got a you know a, a delightful sense of humor um and sense of irony and uh has enjoyed teaching himself and so a lot of our instagram posts are are miguel's doing i love um, it and so i'm i'm grateful for each of them and the you know the beautiful images um that that they bring sure i picked out a 5513 which is um not an uncommon watch but are 
getting rarer and rarer by way of their patina and things like the things that are so driven by visual characteristics. Oftentimes when you're looking at, at, at vintage pieces, you know, some, some people might not like a little rust on the hands and some people may love more rust on the handset, you know, and I feel like the, the pieces that you have are just really well curated and really well acquired in the sense of they at least pique my interest in how they come across visually. Um, do you attribute that to your taste? Because you could choose to pick up certain inventory and not. So what are the kind of things that you look for when you pick up a piece? Well, it's interesting the term curated because that's, curated is some kind of a fancy word and I never think of myself as, a, as the curator. Um, but some of my dealer friends have used that term in describing the collection. Mm. here so apparently it it must apply um so it the pieces are certainly not acquired at random or whatever happens to come our way um my background has nothing to do with watches and jewelry people assume that this must have been some family business um now correct me are, were you a lawyer <laughs> no. or something like what no. i feel like you had a previous no, my career, right? I certainly did. I certainly did. I was a clinical psychologist. That's right. PhD, MD? Yeah, PhD. That's right. You're a PhD. PhD. I was thinking for some reason you're like a lawyer, meaning J JD or whatever. Yeah, but. no. My, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer, but I didn't want to stand up in front of people and get stage fright and lose my train of thought. <laughs> um, so uh, I became a psychologist where I can That's sit down so and talk like like you and I are right now. Right, right. <laughs> um the business for me is, and, and the inventory selection is run, is, is driven by an aesthetic yeah. of, of beautiful watches in beautiful condition, great design of whatever era. Um, it, um, condition is supremely important. So I am, I'm not, I'm not, a very a particularly technical. I know more about movements than I did five or 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Um, but my strength is not about the technical. My strength is with picking out, with rec recognizing great design, um, including pieces that are unfamiliar or not mainstream or not particularly um, sort of what everybody is, is, is after. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why curated is, is, and I, I actually think that word is completely overused. I only use it and I think it's applicable in this scenario because you can, aren't designing these products, right? Like a lot of people think, Oh, well this collection is so well curated talking about stuff that's brand new, <laughs> you know, like you don't know that's called designed, right. And manufactured you're doing neither of those things, which is why I use that word, because you are the curator to your collection. Right. I have hand-selected everything that's here. And it's beautiful. And everything in this space. Um, you know, this is an audio, and anybody listening who's been in the store, and I think has, a, has an impression about what the store looks like, what it feels like, um, the warmth, the welcomingness of it. Um, 
my home doesn't look that different from, from this store. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> With lots of vintage tchotchkes and interesting, cool things. And everywhere you look, you discover some other cool thing. Um, and there's just an overall warmth and charm. And, and from the beginning, a gazillion years ago, it was about creating a setting that, that was um, suitable and that was um, that complemented that the the these vintage watches the the watches complementing the environment the environment um, complementing the, the the merchandise sure um, so uh, you know it, it's it's interesting to me I'm I'm not an artist I can't sit down and sketch and do beautiful drawings but what I a gift that early on I learned that I had are things that draw my attention and my interest and that I think are beautiful are not idiosyncratic. So mm. when I started out and I had 20 watches in the showcase and I was in a small little showcase in the back of somebody else's store and, and people are looking at my 30 watches or so and saying, wow, you have really good taste. And it's like, I'm hearing that. It's like, okay, I'm following my eyes. It, it's not so much uh, my head, it's my eyes right. to guide me. And if, if I can rely on that, that's what a, what a gift. I don't have to think it through. I was just about to say, you don't have to think about it. All you do is feel it. Um, and often, even, even today, if I'm, I may ask another, I'm at a watch show and I ask a dealer friend, what do you, what do you think about this? Well. If I'm asking the question, it's because I'm not, I'm not convinced. Hmm. So, and, and, and it doesn't mean I'm necessarily going to pass, but it's like, mm, I'm, I'm on the fence as to whether the, this is good or it's not good, or it, it's good, but it's not great. Let's, let's let it go or, or, or what to do. But oftentimes it's when I'm, I need a second opinion, it's, it's usually a pass because my, right. <laughs> my, inner, my inner GPS kind of knows, knows. Your bullshit meter starts to go off, <laughs> is what it sounds like. So, well, let me ask you this. You started in the back of a store. What store was that and how long ago was that? Approximately 40 years ago, I was working as a, all right, I can't, I can't let me back up a little bit. Sure. I came to California in 1976. Um, I think my voice, my appearance, my everything belies my age. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank God I got blessed with good genes. Um, it's not healthy living <laughs> or diet or exercise or whatever, although I, I do all of those things. But I, I really, I think I got the gift of, of good genes. Um, I came to Camarillo, came out to California to do an internship in clinical psychology at Camarillo State Hospital, which is now, which looked like a junior college at the time okay. and not like the East Coast mental institutions. I'm from Massachusetts. Um, and I just coming out here, I discovered the Rose Bowl flea market. Oh, right. Yeah. And at the time, initially shopping there for vintage furniture and so forth, turn of the century oak furniture for the Victorian house that I, my wife at the time and I were renting in, in Ventura on Poli Street down the block from the beautiful, beautiful courthouse over there. Um, I had been a coin collector all my life. Uh. Um, and it, 
rid ridiculous story that I have to have to has, have to share is I was the kid who one day a week in junior high one day a week I would take the bus downtown in Worcester Massachusetts uh, with whatever money I had thirty dollars forty dollars fifty dollars I, I don't think I had more than that and I would go to the teller and I would get as many rolls of pennies, nickels, dimes, or quarters, go over to a counter by myself and go through them all looking for either um, silver coins, to, to silver dimes and quarters to pull out, any rare date Lincoln pennies, yeah. um, any buffalo nickels that got yeah, mixed in with the yeah. Jeffersons, um, any S mint, San Francisco mint coins, and I would then re-roll them and take them back to the counter and get another roll and continue to do this until I was out of money or out of time or something. The street lights went on and I had to get home for dinner. Take the bus home. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was that kid who and I mean, it's, it's it sounds so, you know, as I tell even as I tell it, it sounds like so nerdy, but. It was the same, I, you know, there's the treasure hunting, there's the looking at condition, the, the, I mean, the, the minutia of attention to detail of, of grading coins sure. and so forth. Yeah. So I, I had, I'm that kid who was, al I was always a collector. Seashells, stamps, and then coins. When I came out to California, I discovered, um, at the time, a, a popular fad was cut out coin jewelry. Um, so the background would be cut out with with uh, hand, with jeweler saws of the um, night of standing liberty quarters of uh, walking liberty half dollars and so forth and ma made earrings out of them or necklaces and so forth um, cufflinks and I started dealing in those and consigning those at shops around Ventura and Camarillo um, and at the Rose Bowl one day, which is the second Sunday of every month in Pasadena, this is not a paid advertisement, I ran into a UCLA student who was set up on a bridge table with a um, with pocket watches. Sure. And these were the very pretty hunting case pocket watches, not so much the technical railroad watches and the, the joke that every every watch dealer talks about making fun of the NAWCC guys with the, the 992B which is um, a good quality, but very common Hamilton railroad grade movement. Got it. You want me to say that again? Nine, nine to two B. <laughs> I grew up in North Carolina. I understood that quite well. Okay. <laughs> so I was, I was intrigued and fascinated by these pocket watches because right. they're gold filled and gold, um, particularly the hunting case, that were beautiful and functional. So they were beautiful, each one with individual in, engraving or engine turning, um, but they were functional. So coins are two-dimensional and they're flat and they're kind of, kind of nerdy. You know, like how, how, many, how many people, how long can you, t will anybody, you know, how do you have a conversation about coins unless it's a, another nerdy coin collector? Coin collector, right. But pocket watches, I mean, just the, just the, the electricity went off. Um, I could not believe how, I, they, they, were in, they were inexpensive, they were beautiful, they were interesting, they, they, they have all this social commerce possibility. Um, wearing one on a, on a chain and you pull it out to tell the time and you push the button and the lid comes up like, tell me that isn't cool. Right. Like, 
this is so much more interesting than this is so much more interesting than coins um, and interesting to the world um, and it's and it's the same as you know this the same aesthetic so at any rate I, just the light bulb bulb went off like this this is there's some there not there's not something here there's something giant here. just a major gravitational pull this this is this is huge this these things are inexpensive there's there's tremendous amount of value here these things are valuable yeah um at this time were you wearing a watch what was your first watch no i was not wearing a watch i i, I didn't wear watches interesting i got a blue dial electric timex watch either from my bar, my bar mitzvah or maybe when I graduated from high school, I'm, I'm not sure which, I don't have it any longer. But watches were not part of, like, like I said earlier, we, I'm not from the family of jewelry and watches right. and so forth. So, sure. And in, in fact, so that, that, would, that, that, was, that was the beginning of wanna buy a watch with the, with the pocket watches. And now we have a, a small, a, a smattering of really, a pretty, but you know, modest collection of pocket watches. Um, but shortly after I began in business in 19, whenever, 79, 80, whatever, um, I discovered wristwatches. And the first four wristwatches I bought were as is. I paid $35 each for four of them. I paid $140 for four wristwatches that had to be serviced and, and have nice straps put on them. And wearing a, so this, this is in the early 80s. So to your question was what watch was I wearing? I was wearing no watch. I was a rebel, you know, so I was in college during the Vietnam War. I was absolutely in the world of hippies and marijuana and psychedelics and counterculture and opposition to the war and an optimism about changing changing the world and that's that that was my coming of age in college. So wearing a watch, it, 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 it sounds silly saying, saying this today, wearing a watch seemed like this being, conforming to some external demands about time and regulation and, and conformity. Um, the seven, the, the, the five day work week two days off on the weekend seemed so arbitrary <laughs> to me. I mean, it, it is ridiculous saying this, this now because they're, you know, it's sort of the world kind of works well when there's a little bit of a. I, no, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I still think that it's kind of arbitrary. The fact that it's a <laughs> nine to five Monday through Friday. Like, I mean, a lot of people would pose the question, let's do a four day work week and work 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. There's countries in Europe that do that. And I can't remember which one right now, but, um, right. You know, I mean, but it is superfluous. Like right. who's to say you can't stay open till two in the morning. Right. Pro you, you probably just don't want to. Right. Well, not, not, not here, but certainly writers and other people keep late sure. night hours. Yeah. And, and, Creatives and, and, especially. And now in these days, many of us are working at home and working all kinds of hours. But the, the point, the, the point that I'm uh, taking me a long time to get to is it was not about time and the importance of time and the regulation and the order, um, 
it was about the aesthetic. Right. It was about these cool Art Deco curvexes, beautiful Hamiltons, um, yellow, yellow gold, white gold, rose gold. Um, in in the time when the watch, when the popular man's watches were, um, their virtue, their 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 virtue was their simplicity, their um, the thinness of the watch. So, by <laughs> kind of an oxymoron, by design, their lack of ornamentation, right, and their plainness. Now, now. A gazillion years later, I kind of get that context because some of those watches from the 60s and 70s and 80s that I used to talk trash about, <laughs> now I'm seeing the virtue, the, the design virtue of some of, some of those. Certainly. Um, and, the, and the quirkiness or the, 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 you know, the, the oyster quartzes and um, obviously I don't have to speak about the, the royal oaks. <laughs> right. Um, and even and plain round paddocks. I mean, they, you know, at an Orlando watch show in 1980 something, and um, a well-known dealer had a roll of round paddocks that, he, that were $500 each. And I'm there shopping for cool Hamiltons and Illinois and Gruens and Bulovas and fancy cases and all this cool stuff. Um, and it's like, I don't get it. Like. Yeah, it's a Patek Philippe, but look at them. They're like, there's nothing. It's, they're, they're round, plain watches. And of course, the, the fashion at that time was, was rectangular and, and cushion case. And yeah. round was the, you know, we were getting a, away from round. And it's so interesting now, we're back to round again. And rectangular paddocks that were so valuable 20, 25 to 15 years ago, now the rectangular paddocks are out of fashion, and now the, the fashion in most watches is round. Sure. So it, it's just sort of interesting that I have to sort of laugh at myself because I'm so flippant opinionated about what is good design and what isn't, and here are the watches, some designs that I was trash-talking 25 and 30 years ago, and now I'm celebrating. And it's like, well... Um, I, I'm not sure how to. <laughs> right, right. Not sure how to feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I was it. I wrong then? Or am I wrong now? Or you know, whatever. You know. Yeah. Do you, can you even consider that growth? Like, what? What? How do you label this? Which must be really a kicker for a psychiatrist, psychologist, or a psychologist. I can't okay. prescribe meds. I okay. Can, gotcha. I can take them, but I can't prescribe them. Right. <laughs> um. Well, that's really interesting. So just to back up, though, when you were selling in that store, what, what was the store that you started in? So I was a psychologist working at a private psychiatric hospital, um, and I got a phone call from a guy I knew from the flea markets who did neon clock restoration. Interesting. And in the late in the seventies and early eighties, neon had a magnificent revival. The neon clocks and neon um, neon signage, vintage neon signing, restoration of vintage neon signs, and so there was just this enormous proliferation of neon. He was selling vintage fishing lures to this landlord on Melrose and who had a very tiny little space available on the, on the street, was I interested in going in there with him. He would do the, the neon clocks, 
and I would do the watches, and we would share the space. I would go there after work as a psychologist in the afternoons and then on, on the weekend. Um, and I was, I was beside myself with an opportunity to be on the street that I was um, fascinated and intrigued and so excited about. Yeah, it was uh, the street. It was the street um, in in the early '80s, and and for, for you know for, for tw at least at least twenty years. Um, and you were called "Wanna Buy a Watch" from day one, or were you just Ken Jacobs, or like what were you? Under um, I was one of buy a watch right away. I was one of buy a watch right away. And that was named based on the question? Yes. Yeah. Cause I don't, is there a question mark in your sign? Well, the bank doesn't like the question mark. <laughs> okay. So I've, it, it always had the question mark because the name of the business is want to buy a watch. Sure. <laughs> and the question mark is not so essential anymore <laughs> right because the bank doesn't want doesn't want that question mark well and you have customers coming in telling you i want to buy a watch right you don't have to ask anymore <laughs> right well and it, it and it works whether somebody wants to buy a watch or they're looking to sell a watch fair um but it, you know people have you know i was i was telling i was telling kim with a y earlier um today that um Whoever people have, I've been asked a few times. Well, you know, I certainly asked where, where did the name come from? You know, when you're sort of a, you're sort of addressing, um, but also asking like, who came up with that name? Mm. And they're talking to me, and it's like, who do you think came up with that name? Maybe <laughs> the better question is, how did you come up with that name? Maybe, maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's what, the, that's what they meant. Which then it also sounds obvious because it's kind of like, that's, that's the business, right? Well, if well, you're in the business of selling watches, it kind of behooves you to say, Hey, want to buy a watch? Right. And, and, and that's interesting you say that because that, that to me, my, my answer to the question is how did you come up with that name? It, it, my answer is simple. It's like, it was obvious. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't go to a brain trust and, uh, you know, and pay to have them come up with some names and for me to pick one out of the list. It's like that was the one and only name that, uh, that uh, <laughs> occurred to me. And it's, it's, and it's apparently it's stuck. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Like what I'm picking up on a lot is, is the feel again, this is all like visceral. This is all just kind of second nature to you, you know, yes. either it be your picker, so to speak, or it, even your approach to naming the business itself. It just seems like whatever feels right is what you do, which I don't know. Like, what do you attribute that to? Like, what, what did your parents do when you were a kid? <laughs> like, cause you trust your gut, obviously. Um, I, <laughs> I'm at a loss for words. I don't know that anything came from my parents, any of the, of this, of this quality. Okay. I think this, you know, this is, uh, I've, it's, it's, I, some people are, you know, you're you talking here about people talking about being really visual, mm. you know, you, they, they learn visually. Mm -hmm. Um, you, some people are auditory, you know, some people you, they say, you say something and say, wait a minute, let me write that down. 
Well, no, it's it, it, it's simple what I'm saying. No, I know, but but I just want to write it down. So there's different different styles of learning. For for me, I'm, and I can't speak for other people because I only live inside of me. Is I am so visual. Yeah. And I I mean I'm, I live in I. I live and consume a visual world. You know, uh, art, architecture. Um, I do a lot of photography. I've done photography for as long as I can remember. I don't sit in a, in a, in a um, dark room and process film, but I, I, I see things that are beautiful and, I, and, and the camera is wonderful because you can, um, you can compose the picture. You, know, you see all, all of this, but I see something within that. And right. I'm not saying that this is a unique quality. I think photographers do that because Possess they take that, good yeah. pictures. It's not like just snapping, you know, a lot of people don't take good pictures, which fascinates me. Like, how, how, do, you, how do you manage to not take good pictures? <laughs> yeah. No I, I, no, I know exactly what you mean, though, is when something comes easy to you when somebody else can't get it, it it's, it's a struggle to, not under, to, to understand how it's possible that somebody can't do it when it comes so easily to you. Right. Or, or to recognize that it's a gift and you know, and each of us with, with whatever our gifts are, and and of course we take it for granted because it it, it comes easy, but it but it, something else comes very hard, um, um, and different things come easy to to other people. Sure. Um, what did what but, did you but but you know, not so much for the interview, but you know, you you've intrigued me. Like where where did this come from? I mean, I'm kind of an undisciplined person. Mm-hmm. And I, I go I go with my gut, and I'm very um, <laughs> I you, you might say impulsive, you might say childlike, and and saying childlike in the context that we're talking about is not such a bad quality. I'm spontaneous. Um, I would call it instinctual. Yeah, that's a nice word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's not. But, a, but, that's but I, not nearly as pejorative as the words right. I'm thinking of. <laughs> We're all our own worst critic, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. What What did your dad do for work? My dad was a glazier. He owned a glass company that that did storefronts, replaced auto glass, did window sash. Was Was he artistic in that way? Mm, I don't think so. Like driven by aesthetics and the. Assimilation? I don't think so. My my parents were a very handsome couple. They dressed very well. They were great dancers. Um, I mean, not great dancers. I mean, they were, they were they weren't professional dancers, but sure. they were they were good dancers. Yeah. My dad was a a very handsome guy. My mother was a very pretty woman. Um, my mother did <laughs> paint by the numbers. She had many. I don't know if, if anybody in the audience is, uh, you know, the, your listeners is old enough to know if, if they still produce these things. But sure. she did the painting by the numbers. Then she framed them. They were on the, in, on the on the walls in our house. She did copper enameling that were that were pretty. But so there was some. She had some aesthetic and 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 she of course she knit knit and made afghans and 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 so forth cool. but I, I don't know that the i i don't know where this uh <laughs> how you became so instinctual yeah 
But I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, um, what was your first car? My first car was a, uh, well, my first car was a motorcycle. Oh, interesting. <laughs> my first car was a Honda 300 Scrambler. Um, that between my freshman and sophomore years in college, I worked at as a pool boy lifeguard swim instructor at the Pennsylvania Hotel in Atlantic City. This is before the resurrection of Atlantic City when it became a casino haven. Haven, yeah. Um, and actually it was 1969 because I missed the memo about Woodstock. and knew nothing about Woodstock and I was in Atlantic City and uh, I I imagine I would have gone I did go to New York to get my um, what is it called from the the, the Maharesh Mahesh Yogi pardon me for messing that up getting um, Kim do you know what what did you get from Maharesh Mahesh Yogi um, for your meditation your um your mantra. Oh, so your transcendental meditation mantra. Yes. So I did go, I didn't go to Woodstock, but I did go to New York for, to, for your TM <laughs> mantra. <laughs> yeah, to get my TM mantra. <laughs> well, do, you, do you practice TM? No, still? not one bit. No, not at all. Why? I'm too ADD for meditation. Okay. <laughs> okay, so back. Uh, so with the savings from being a pool boy and being charming and working for tips, I saved enough and paying bupkis in this subterranean apartment that several of us lived in that summer and getting free submarines and pizzas at the, at the sub shop. Um, saved enough money when I went back to college in the fall to buy my Honda 300 Scrambler. Amazing. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to some more car talk a little later because I want to talk about what's out front. But, okay. Um, but that'll, that'll come. But back to some business at hand. So you're selling in this store a mile away, roughly. Right. Then you move eventually down the street, as we alluded to, where I went. I shared the, I shared the space. So I was down, I was down in, that, in that area, that fantastically popular era for, for decades, was there for 15 or 16 years. Okay. So the first shared space I described, and then someone who had a, a whole retail store called Slightly Crazed, mm-hmm. and the crazing refers to the crazing of pottery. Okay. But So that was another very clever name slightly crazed right right um and he invited me to basically lease a, a the back of his store and i set up a um a horseshoe shaped counter with my watches right um and that was for two years and then the space next door became available and then i moved next door and opened the first <laughs> Want to want to buy a watch? So that that previous store was want to buy a watch at slightly crazed. So the 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 location was slightly the shop was slightly crazed, but it was want to buy a watch at slightly crazed. And then 
for two years we were slightly i was want to buy a watch next door with tons of neon with a wall a, a, a wall of neon clocks which right. are still popular and then a bigger space became available the next block where olivia newton john's koala blue store was and that had been a two and that she had a store with her her um, clothing line and they had a an Aussie, Aussie milk, uh, juice milk bar. Is that what it's called? Milk bar? Okay. Bar. Um, and that was a 2,000 square foot space that was vacant for a number of years when her business closed. Um, and then finally that landlord divided it in, in two. And this was a two-story Spanish-style building, 2,000 feet downstairs, two upstairs, and they divided the bottom into a 1,000 foot space. I consulted with um, a designer friend who I had met and we set about set out to to recreate or to create or recreate a 1920s California mission style jewelry store in that building, redoing the entire facade of the building, the whole 4,000 foot facade, um, and doing um, I'm just doing. A, a lot of elaborate work to our 1,000 square foot space, but making the entire, but redoing the entire facade of the building at my right. own expense to make this, to return this old Spanish style architecture into something beautiful with a lot of faux finish. And I mean, just lot, lots of, lots of, lots of beautiful, beauty and and redoing the hardwood floor and doing a distressed hardwood floor and there were columns on one wall and then we did put in faux columns on the opposite wall oh wow yeah. i mean we, we um and i i have, I have pictures i have pictures of that store oh cool that and that store this store and that store were designed by the same woman who designed that store so yeah, you have all like the case lines and the or vitrines. These or showcases you want to call are them. the same showcases. Same ones, yeah, yeah. So this, this, you know, loved this store, loved the store, and I did not want to leave that store. So why did you leave it? The area got went downhill. Got it. And we were going upscale, and we're dealing with more and more expensive goods, and the area, be, you know, it, the area turned, and it became less appealing for right customers and that our demographic had changed and and um ultimately and i you know i lo i loved that store and i loved that space that we created but it was time to go we had we had become as as somebody said it to me and it was like just an a you know a, a knife through my forehead you have a store for adults and you're in a kid's neighborhood right and it's like holy shit yeah wow does all the obsessing and ruminating should i shouldn't i what's the pluses what's the minus and it's like oh that's the story boom time to move yeah <laughs> time to go yeah this this is the best layout of a of a space of of any and it's way better than the layout of the others the other space that allowed us to create this this space with this lounge and this is the first time I've sat in the lounge for, and, 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 and done what we're doing. I have sat in the lounge. Um, but this is as, as proud as I am and as nice of some of the stores that, that we've had and this one that I was showing you the pictures of, um, this is by far, by far our, our crowning achievement.
You know, That's it, great. It, and it gives me so much pleasure to be able to host people here and have people come in here and say, like, wow, what a cool store. And when people walk in here for the first time and they walk up to the counter and they, they start engaging direct specifically, you know, on a specific watch or something, it's like, are you not taking in the environment? Do you like this? This is not like every any. This is not like everybody else's store. This is not like anybody else's store. This place is fucking cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and and it's unlike anything uh, that it neighbors as well. Like I mean, everything else around this block, even in the last fifteen years, has been so much more modern. Absolutely, like this has definitely been kind of a staple even with its aesthetic like as you've moved it's it's retained that same vibe that same aura the same feel the same warmth um and it, it's very welcoming and i yeah. think um you know obviously again a testament to to maybe your eye and and your instincts but you know the industry's grown so much over the last even 10 years even the last five years with the industry changing and even though you've moved spaces and stuff like your physical location doesn't really affect that necessarily, but like how has your business changed in general over the last say five, 10 years since, since I've been visiting your stores? Well, so many, so many things have happened in the, in the marketplace. All right. So, so years, years ago, the, um, what watches were of interest and in demand and sought after changed drastically. Mm -hmm. So all of what I was referring to, that old Melrose and those wonderful Art Deco watches and the Hamiltons and Gruens and Elgins and, and so forth, long ago, and, and, and guys would celebrate having rolls of them. They would have one roll, they would have two rolls, they have three rolls, and it was just such a source of pride of, of how many different ones they had and they loved them. and. And then they started, then interest in the sport, the sport Rolexes, um, Rolex Bubblebacks, which sure. is like another whole story unto itself that just, just we could talk for an hour about Rolex Bubblebacks. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think we have a Bubbleback in the showcase today. And there were years when we would have 20 or 30 Bubblebacks in, in the showcase. Right. And that was the, that was what made our Rolex showcase not submariners and gmts and right. $4,400 explorer ones yeah um so guys started wanting to tr trade in their one or two rolls of watches for one or two better watches so we started seeing the consolidation of cool looking but less prestigious um watches for, for paddocks, for Rolexes. So there was definitely a consolid, consolidation or a, um, a, out of more, less expensive watches into fewer, better brand, I suppose, um, Rolexes and, and paddocks and Vacherons. And, um, so that, that, be, that was like the second wave. The first wave was of all this you know the that preceded it and then they then the whole marketplace moved moved away from those watches and we continued to sell many of those long after anybody else in the industry was buying or selling them sure nobody wanted them anymore but in terms of there was still a demand for 
beautiful, beautiful watches that were, so we, we would, you know, I, I used to like to say that you don't have to come in here and spend a lot of money to get a beautiful watch. We have watches from $500 to many thousands of dollars and you don't have to spend a bunch of dough to get something that's distinctive and really cool. So there was less interest in the in those rectangular cases, but we would still buy buy some. Sure. Um, that is that market is almost completely gone now, as did the watches. You know the the military watches. You know again, thirty and forty years ago, the the, the military enamel dial, cushion case, round case, sterling silver. Um, Elgin and Waltham, the World War One, the Boer War era watches were were, were popular. The the flak with the flak grill covering protecting the crystal, um, and the rectangular watches um, from the twenties and the thirties, and that that has all changed. I mean, there's a lot. I occasionally read or hear of different theories about that we we aspire to the the objects, including cars, that 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 are are our father or maybe our grandfather or so you know this generation are not restoring model t's and so forth but may they may be going for the wedge cars of this the 60s and 70s and so forth so anyway whatever whatever drives the aesthetic and the demographic and the people who are buying watches from the tw cool watches from the 20s and 30s that's no longer the the aesthetic so i don't buy watches from the 20s and 30s anymore. It's, it's more in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and you know in, in terms of the, the vintage, vintage right. world. Sure. Um, you know one thing I did want to ask is like what your opinion is on or like what's your take on the spike in prices over the last say two three years really the last two years especially. Because, or let me let me ask you this too as a qualifier have your costs gone up just as much as the buyer's costs have gone up when you've sourced watches over the last two years? Are you like bleeding out of your eyes as well or? Oh, you better believe yeah, it. Yeah. I figured you better believe it. I, the, the price increase. I mean, it's, it, there's been a gradual increase in price over time. Sure. I mean, what, what I've seen over time is there's a, um, a rise in price. There's a rise in prices associated with a rise in demand and popularity, um, and and prices are, are run up, and then the, it kind of plateaus for what for whatever reason, whatever the circumstances are. Um, maybe there's a there's a small dip, um, and and that that plateau may last six months. It may last a year. Maybe two years, and then there's another rise up and this this is over time because it, it's not a it's not a straight graph the curve is not but that's kind of standard operating procedure right yeah yeah um but that said the increase in pricing in our cost since literally since pre-covid right has been obscene right it's obscene um you know the de demand for the demand for watches is mind-boggling. Do you have any insight as to why this is? I mean, obviously the stock market did well over the last, well, maybe not the last few months, but you know, say twenty twenty, um, people are working from home 
arguably maybe too much free time occupying it by reading Hodinkee and educating themselves and starting. I mean, I've never heard so many times in the last, but in the last two years where the term investment has come up in relation to collecting, like that word has been just salted and peppered conversations constantly. But like, do you have any insight as to why this is happening? And if the answer is no, I completely understand because I don't have a clue other than what I've said. (laughs) Right. Seems like I should have something to say about this. The, the, the investment side, the investment side of the watch business, of, the, of watch collecting, um, I, pro- I probably can't speak to very, very well. The increase in pricing associated with demand, I understand. Sure. And if we l- look at the number of articles in all kinds of publications about vintage watches over the last, in the last 30 years. And if, if anybody, I'm sure somebody has compiled how many articles have been written, you know, more, more broadly about watches in general, the question you're asking about, you know, we're not talking about just vintage watches, but the, but watches and, um, you know, the Royal Oaks and the Nautiluses and the RMs and, you know, the, the enormous value now being assigned to these pieces, um, these, these objects, um, and as I say over and over again, including to customers who come in the store, nobody shops here for lack of means to tell the time. <laughs> these are all optional discretionary purchases. Sure. So you only have to please yourself. You, do you like it? Does it what's your budget? Um, well, of course, you all, <laughs> nobody spends what their budget is because the prices are beyond everybody's budget for whatever category. As the $4,400 Explorer 1 was beyond your budget at the time. and <laughs> Yeah, it's like so, renovating your kitchen. It's just <laughs> triple the cost and triple the time. But, but to, I don't think this answers your question directly, but I mean, and I, I think in terms of the import the importance in our culture in our society in our social society and our affluent society of the wristwatch has taken on extraordinary value social value right the currency yep so yeah there social currency it's huge social currency um So that that's an interesting phenomenon. What you know? Sorry. So we we've we've heard we've read for years about women have all kinds of jewelry that they can wear: necklaces and earrings and bracelets galore and rings galore, multiple rings. You know, what does a guy get to wear? You right. Know, a, a guy. Guy is very limited, so the watch become becomes important. Um, and then is the uh, is the Apple Watch going to kill the watch market because hmm. there's limited real estate? For a watch, you can't wear multiple watches. Although occasionally somebody will, but it's like I was ready to write to Apple. But when we started first hearing that they were working on developing an Apple Watch, it's like you guys have it wrong. Like, look how popular it is for guys to wear cool watches and whatever cool happens to represent for them. And you're going to occupy that one piece of real estate and a 
right. know, said this to the other. Anatomical real estate, and you're going to usurp that? You know, it's like, you guys have it all wrong. Apparently, once again, I was all wrong. My instinct was wrong. <laughs> yeah, because it introduces watches to people who have otherwise not been into watches, which is kind of cool. So anyway, the... Not so much the investment side, but the demand, you know, why are prices up so much? The, you know, certainly the supply chain, but if, if, if there weren't demand, then the, the, the supply chain wouldn't, wouldn't matter. Right. It's all about demand. Yeah. So, and the demand is huge that people want to have a cool, I was about to say, I, I stopped, I was about to say a cool Rolex because that's most of what we sell mm. here. Um, a cool watch, but from for the most part in, in our business and, and where we are in the, in the big picture of the watch world, we are in the vintage and pre-owned Rolex world. And most people come in here for Rolex watches. Right. Um, and that's has high, high social value. Sure. Um, well, realizing you don't have a crystal ball, what would you say? is sort of next for the vintage market, you know, be it price or style or brand or any kind of predictions you might have say over the next, I don't know, two years since we've been speaking about the last two years. I lack the gift of being a visionary. Um, and I'm kind of like the, I don't know what, like the rest of us along for the ride. Sure. Um, and I'm not, I mean, it's more than that along for the ride. Um, I was thinking about this also in, in, in thinking about some of the topics that we might, we might touch on is we have always, as I was saying earlier, we've always been very strong in promoting in media beautiful images of our watches. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you... Um, and that creates demand. That has created demand. Um, I've, I've actually lost track of the the point that I'm making. Just kind of predicting the future. Let me let me talk about the present rather than the future, or or what what the 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 shift that I that has occurred in the last several years, which is the shift towards what someone else has coined the neo vintage. Mm. So the really the sport Rolexes from the 80s and the 90s. Five-digit reference numbers, Sapphire, not exclusively, but Sapphire, it now includes Sapphire crystals. Um, certainly tritium looms, all the better if the loom has patinaed and has right. some, some warmth and character, right. um, but not exclusively. The, the distinction between vintage and modern. So we, we used to be asked that all the time. And now I'm going back 10 and 15 and 20 years. What's the, you know, what, you know, this concept of a vintage watch. Well, like what makes, what makes a watch vintage? Like how old does it have to be? And kind of in the world of Rolex, it's kind of one, def one primary defining characteristic is sapphire crystal versus plastic crystal. So plastic crystal is kind of vintage and sapphire crystal was, was modern. Well, now time has moved on and now much, not all of the neo vintage are really the sapphire crystal, five digit reference numbers, five digits, little educational thing, five digits refers not to the sapphire crystal, but to a quick set movement. 
I see. Four digits is a non-quickset movement. Five digits is sapphire. Um, there are some five-digit plastic crystal watches that are quickset, like the quickset GMT, the one six seven five O quickset GMT is still plastic crystal, but five digits because of a quickset movement. Gotcha. Um, So that th th this neo vintage era is certainly an era 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 area that we have been focusing on. Um, the prices are not as high as the four, as the very sought after four digit reference GMTs and and subs. Um, and a, as an aside, we used to have a hard time selling GMTs because everybody wanted a sub. You know, a guy wanted a sub, and that's that's what a man. A man a sub is a man's watch. GMT is I don't know what. Sexually ambiguous. I I don't. I'm not really sure. So it, it's so interesting now to see that GMTs have taken on their own um, something. You, got, you, have a, you have a word for me? <laughs> well, they're certainly time zone ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, G, GMTs are now as popular, if not more popular, than. Um, than than subs. Than the subs so yeah. they've de definitely risen risen from uh, you know not not from the ashes but they've they've certainly are you know we we may get more demand for for GMTs now and and whether it's a Pepsi or no you know no no no, no <laughs> got to do the Saturday Night Live shtick with right. uh, no Pepsi Coke <laughs> right right <laughs> I uh, so as as we're kind of wrapping up here. I do want to talk about the car out front. <laughs> so it, so when I met you out front before we started recording, you told me it was a 1979 MGB. Yes. How did this car come into your possession? What's the story? Well, let's say that my wife gave it to me, but, but actually she didn't. I gave it to her. I bought it for my wife for our 25th wedding anniversary. I couldn't get her another piece of jewelry. I couldn't get her another watch. <laughs> All right, what am I going to get her? She's been pining and whining for a vintage MG for years. And I'm not a car guy. I'm now I'm a little tiny bit, little baby finger of a, of a, of a, of a, of a car guy. Just don't ask me any technical questions. Um, and I found, um, I didn't know how to go about doing that. The 60s MGs have chrome bumpers, and then the 70s MGs have the rubber bumpers because of safety regulations. They have headrests. God, well, you definitely have to have a car with a headrest. But um, I found Darren's MG in Chatsworth, and I drove out there. Um, do you have any MGs? So he specializes in MG service. Do you have any MGs for sale? Do you have any customers who have any for sale? No, you know, time to time I do, but I don't have anything now. He restored an MG for this customer who I ended up buying the car from, who ended up, of course, being a customer of Want to Buy a Watch. Right. <laughs> Franklin had, was on the verge of selling the car, but the guy who was going to buy it was going to export it, and Franklin didn't want his car to go overseas. Darren from Darren's MG, he called, he showed me pictures of it. He pulled out a file and showed me pictures of this car. Um, he called Franklin. Franklin was receptive to selling me the, the car. 
Um, my, my, my brother-in-law, who knows a little bit about cars, came, came with me. We went to a public parking lot with this gorgeous black limited 1979 last year of production, and they were all done as limiteds because we're trying to juice juice up the end end of the end of the end of production. Um, the car is all restored cosmetically and mechanically by the MG mechanic Darren. Um, Eighty five hundred dollars. It's like this is heaven. Um, I'm going to surprise my wife for our 25th wedding anniversary with this car. Um, we. We are going up to Arrowhead for the weekend. I am going, my brother-in-law is going to take care of hide, uh, hiding the car in his neighborhood, at his neighbor's house. We're going to go, stop by my in-law's house on the way up to Arrowhead for them to w give her an, an anniversary gift for our, for our 25th anniversary. We're in the house, and I have staged it, that my brother-in-law is going to pull up with the ribbons and the MG into the driveway and blow that cute little horn. And I'm going to act all surprised, like, what's that? My, you know, we go out in the driveway and there's this car with the, the ribbon, like in the TV commercials. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And my wife is beside herself that I had, and, and I've, I've pulled off this feat of buying this car hiding it, coming up with a foil to be able to stop by where the car is being stashed. Miles pulls up in the, into the driveway and honks the horn, blows the horn. Toots, toots, it doesn't blow it, it toots. It <laughs> toots the horn. Um, and my, my wife is just beside herself. And, and we are going to head up to Arrowhead, and she's got her Audrey Hepburn scarf on. Oh, amazing. And then she found the car too hard to drive, and even though she is, has long legs, the clutch has to go all the way to the floor. And we even had Darren put on a block so it sits up high. My wife is not like some petite, tiny, short little person. She's got longer legs than me. I love driving this car, but it is effortful. Right. It is Effortful. Yeah. It's effortful getting in, getting out. It drives great. I love driving it. Um, I feel like a hot shot, as I said to you. It's, uh, it's my, my, it's my Porsche. Anyway, she stopped driving it, and, and 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 not only did she stop driving it, she now has turned it around that I have bought it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so this wonderful gift that I gave her and create orchestrated and created and gave her that she was thrilled for a few weeks or a little <laughs> bit longer, maybe now has been undone that uh, like I've carried out this charade of pretending to buy it for her, but actually buying it for myself by virtue of her having released it to me. Right. <laughs> so as I said, my wife gave me this car but I, th I thought I had given it to her, but apparently she gave it to me. That's hilarious. <laughs> what else is in the garage? It's what, it, it's, it's what isn't in the garage because the garage we now call the Bat Cave because this car, the top never goes up. It's only a fair weather car. Got it. Because the canvas top is too hard to put up and take down. So it's, if it's too hot, I don't drive it. If it's too cold, I don't drive it. Um, 
but I had to clear out years of accumulation of want to buy a watch history and boxes of stuff like, oh, I can't throw that away. Right, right. <laughs> and auction catalogs from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and so much stuff in order to give an, to, for our garage to have enough room to pull the, the, the MG in to, right. the, to the garage because I don't, I don't leave it leave it out certainly we you know we we, we have a two-car garage and, and and i had to make enough room to squeeze the small mg in the garage and actually now there's more, there's more room in there but uh it's what's not in the garage that is really the story rather than what is in the garage got it <laughs> what what else are you driving i drive a subaru i drive a subaru outback oh nice yeah um i, I was saying my you know there's three Three of my three of three of our employees drive Subarus. Really, Kim with a Y, of course, drives a, a Mercedes. Right. What, what else would you expect of her? <laughs> um, so I'm curious, why the white dog outside? Because you have these like little figurines of white dogs. Do you have a white dog at home? That's not a white dog. That's Nipper. Okay, <laughs> not just any white dog. Don't, my my wife says, "Have you fed the dog?" <laughs> now our dog is the dog he doesn't have a name we, we're not attached to him this is nipper this is the rca dog this is the image of of the the victrola with the big horn right speaker and listening to his mat the rca advertising for listen thomas edison has designed the 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 uh, the what the Victrola or what whatever the whatever we they, had one of those in my house when I grew up. Yeah, they're so cool, but that's Nipper. So I'm always drawn to. to all right, here, here here's a story. Here's the story about Nipper, and I'll, I'll try to keep it relatively brief. So as, as you see here, and all the objects and and tchotchkes and so forth that are around here and and, and cool things. So. My neighbor was having a yard sale, gave me the heads up, got to go there first, and she had this 36-inch high plastic nipper model. Um, she's a dog person. She didn't have kids. Her house was full of dog sculpture, dog paintings, and nipper was in the, living, in the corner of the living room, and it was like a fixture. It was part of, part of her home, part of her family. She was giving away, she was selling nipper at her yard sale. It's like, are you kidding me? You're... I thought you were attached to this. No, I'm, I've, I've had it long enough done with it. Struck a deal, bought Nipper, brought it to the store, and Nipper was our, became our, our watchdog. <laughs> Nipper became our watchdog. So he was inside the store and would to greet people and so forth and just kind of the fun of being a watchdog in a, in a watch store. And, um, and one day employee said put took it upon himself to put nipper outside the store which i thought was just genius because it it marks the store it announces us being open because there is nipper out on the street when nipper's on the street the store is open um so it, it became along with our gruen neon clock it became another identifier that's cool, uh, and and the, the the water bowl that's out there that my my daughter when she was in um, in 
elementary school made and that's the water bowl for nipper which he shares with all the dogs in the neighborhood and it's a hoot watching watching the dogs in the neighborhood and and some of them you know sniffing sniffing nipper uh, other dogs like just terrified by nipper <laughs> little dogs oh that are gosh. like are freaking out but funny. many of them it, it's our local water hole for the local for the local dogs. I love that. So, <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed or not, it was covered with, so we have a little green AstroTurf thing out there because of course, Nipper shouldn't be sitting on the hard pavement, he's sitting on the grass. Right. And, um, but now it's covered with all the leaves that have, that have fallen and so forth. So he's our, he's our mascot, he's our spokesmodel. Um, when we have events, um, it's Nipper who is the, um, the announcer and, and the host of the, of the event. And we have a whole series of, uh, of posters, uh, uh, you, you didn't see the uh, banners that are a really brilliant graphic designer did this whole series for all the all the holidays, Valentine's Day and and the Jewish holidays and uh, and and Hanukkah. We're about to put Hanukkah up there and for Christmas with plays on with plays on Nipper, like tongue and cheek stuff with fe featuring Nipper. Oh, that's amazing. So, so th that that's not just a white dog. That's right. Nipper. Right. Right. <laughs> How dare I offend him? I'm sorry, Nipper. Is there anything such as a grail watch for someone like you? Like, do, is there anything that you... Like, what are you wearing today, first of all? Well, interesting because, uh, as I was saying earlier about Neo Vintage. Right. So this is a reference 16800 with a matte dial. So we've got a quick set, five digits, quick set movement. Um, sapphire crystal and the first couple of years of production of the 16800 they continued the matte dial from the 1680 but with the depth rating the higher depth rating of a thousand feet for the sapphire crystal got it so the first couple of years you have a matte dial before they went to the white gold surrounds dial on the 16800 so this one has the look appearance of the 1680 with the the matte dial it's got great patina it's got a f aged faded bezel um, the quick set hardly matters so I don't think I set the date or wear it regularly enough to care about the date I do, I do use it for for the time but it's it's this blend of vintage and modern um, and it's to me, it's it's like a, just a perfect easy easy blend. I mean, this this is one of fifteen Rolexes I have, but this is a relatively new acquisition and one that I've one that's e easy to wear. Sure, all to wear all all the time. Yeah, that's amazing. So, th is that your most recent acquisition? This one and a, the gold counterpart to it. Ah, okay. The gold with nipple dial one six eight zero eight with an aged dial where the blue has really faded and it's kind of a goldish blue. And actually I've nicknamed it, um, <laughs> the dial I've nicknamed as stonewashed jeans. Oh, interesting. Because the color of the dial is like old faded blue jeans. Wow. Like I'm wearing now. Oh, I'd love to see that actually. <laughs> You'll have to text me a photo of that. I, I will. I will. Um, that sounds super it, it was cool. either wearing that watch or this watch today and uh, this is the steel one I wore. I didn't want to show off my gold watch. Oh, that's okay. 
<laughs> so when we met out front on the sidewalk, we basically parked at the same time. You were carrying a satchel and or tote <laughs> or something with two tennis rackets in it. Yes. Are you, are you a big tennis guy? I, uh, I play tennis a couple of times a week and glad to say that I can. And there may be nothing that I look more forward to than playing tennis. That's great. And I'm so flippin' grateful that I still can play, and I hope that uh, I don't have to eat my words in, a, in, in three months or six months when, when my knees go out or, or something. Right. But uh, yes, that's as long-winded though I am, I need to uh, change into my tennis gear and then head over the hill to the valley and um, play tennis for a couple of hours. Oh, I love it. And of course, Kim with a Y, which you could see, is an avid tennis player. Totally. Who, uh, I've, I have not had the pleasure of watching play, and uh, I couldn't couldn't play against her because I would be sure be <laughs> demolished. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's okay. But she she's a shrewd and clever one, and she plays doubles, and she always picks a great partner it's because she likes she likes to win the tournaments <laughs> oh that's awesome well ken i can't thank you enough for taking the time this has been a blast um i love my new watch you got a good one my new old watch you got a good one um i'm, I'm so appreciative of your your loyalty to us i i, I wish i could say that i remembered uh, us meeting those years ago when the Explorer ones were only forty four hundred dollars. Yeah, Did no, I say that before? Yeah. I don't remember. There's no chance you would remember because, I mean, you, you're you're also providing. We didn't even touch on this, but it's really it's really probably even shouldn't talk about it. But like you provide a lot of watches for a lot of people, and your your customer base is it's famous. I mean, you you're want to buy a watch has been mentioned in countless articles, countless interviews, countless, you know, representations of collections of, of so many people far and wide that it's, it's, it's quite remarkable, A, and B, it's, it's just cool. Like, just to know, like, I mean, what does that even feel like to you? Like, to, I mean, not to get, like, all celebrity famous and, like, oh, goo goo gaga about these people, but, like, I can only imagine how proud you are. Thank you. It is. I, I, I do feel very proud. And, you know, in, in a very personal way, um, having, having, having um, oftentimes I lose sight of what you just described. And typically I don't have that, 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 that sense. Um, and I certainly am, am delighted that that's, that's the case. Um, and it's it's always so refreshing and reassuring when I hear someone say like, well, "You don't realize you don't realize how well known you are. You don't realize you don't realize." I don't want to say how big you are because it's not it's not about bigness. Well, I, feel, I feel like it's larger than that. I think it's a reputation thing, which to me supersedes fame. Well, again, for me, it's in it's. Um, because you could be famous for the wrong reasons. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I th I think we're tr we're trustworthy. We're 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 honest. We're are we perfect? No. Are we the most expert in everything? But we are. We have integrity. You know, we we're about quality. We're about integrity. If I 
if I screw up, if I do something wrong, I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm going to make it right. Um, I'm not going to wiggle out of something. I'm, I'm, and I mean, generally, I'm not going to do something that get, puts me in trouble or puts me in a bad light with someone where, right. I mean, the, the, the joy of providing this service, and you said how many people have, have, have watches from us. Sure. You know, and when I think of one day there not being a want to buy a watch, it's like, how, how could I do that to this community? I mean, and of course there's, as I said to somebody, to a young gun the other day, you know, as, as one star sets on the horizon, mm. another rises on the opposite horizon. Sure. Um, but there, there has been this sense of, I mean, I, l I love having the, obviously I have a, a, a store, I've always had a store and not a booth and not an office somewhere. Right. And, and, and make it pretty and this is this is my home this is my living room and this really is now the living room living room um, and a place for people to come into and a place that's known and a place that said oh you got oh, oh what a cool watch that is where did you get that want to buy a watch and people come in here and say that I saw somebody da 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 and I admired their watch and I said where did you get it and, you know and they said want to buy a watch right <laughs> it's like well in, in terms of one's satisfaction with what they do in their life and I'm not just I'm not somebody making money in an office, doing deals, doing trades with invisibility. I mean, for me, there's the obviously great satisfaction in being known, in being visible, in um, not, not so much in being famous, but being, being, vis being visible and making a mark. Um, I feel like there's something to be said for the handshake, you know, like being present, being the face of your company, providing that service, and at the end of the day, shaking hands and saying thank you you know i mean that's invaluable like it's it's incredible thank you for this opportunity it's been uh, it, it hasn't just been a, a recital of things that i already know but you've asked me things into um um and as you see i th I've <laughs> i think i th I'm, all, I'm also a thinker and i think about uh sure. so I, I i very much appreciate this opportunity to uh, to talk with you and uh um appreciate you in, in indulging me as I've gone uh, off <laughs> maybe not off the deep end but off on some on some some tangents but um it's an interesting thing that you're doing because every you know you're you're interviewing the individual um and um, um it's it's um, it's my pleasure and certainly my honor to be uh, one of one of your one of your subjects <laughs> great thanks so much Ken really appreciate it I'd like to thank Ken one more time for taking part in the show, as well as to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for providing the theme track, as well as to Clear Audio for providing the noise-canceling headphones. I hope you guys stick around in two weeks' time for episode 77. Uh, I've got a fun one coming up with a good friend of mine. Uh, so for you car and more specifically Porsche fans, uh, I think you'll enjoy that one as well. Thanks so much for listening. Again, if you could share it with some friends, I'd greatly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, take care. Ciao.